you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Psalms. And we will be in Psalm 19, the 19th Psalm this morning. <clears throat> the title of the message is God Speaks. Not God has spoken, but God speaks today. He still speaks. And so I think this morning as we walk through this psalm, we see how God speaks. But before we read the text, would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word this morning. Oh, Lord, we ask that as you have spoken long ago through the writing of your word and through the apostles and through the prophets that this morning you would continue to speak to us. For Lord, we know that your word is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than a double-edged sword and it pierces to the division of spirit and soul and of joint and marrow and it discerns the truths and the intents of our hearts. And so, God, would you speak to us today? By your Holy Spirit's presence and anointing, would you speak into our lives? And Lord, this morning, as I proclaim your word, I pray, as the psalm says here, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Dr. David said, the theme of the text and the message this morning, even of our service today, is God's revelation or the revelation of God. I want you to think about something. The quality of our work and the content of our words continuously communicate something about us, don't they? The things that you do, the things that you say, they communicate something about your character, my character, who we are. When we take great care in our work, to ensure that it's done properly, it, it communicates responsibility, dependability, hard worker. When we speak, our words often convey the inward disposition of our hearts before others. Our work and words actually reveal a lot about us. Well, in Psalm 19, David is telling us that creation in Scripture, God's work and word, reveals God to us. So I want us to find our place there in Psalm 19. And I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The rules of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This morning, we're invited by David. We're invited in Scripture, into Psalms, by God's Word. This morning, we're invited to contemplate God's revelation through creation and Scripture so that we might delight in Him and renew our commitment to live for Him. So in this Psalm, Psalm 19, we have both natural revelation and specific revelation. Natural revelation inviting us to observe and to see God's majesty and power on display through his creation. But then also specific revelation in that God has revealed himself specifically through his word so that we might know his character. We might know and understand his will for our lives so that we as God's people would know how to walk in accordance with his will, following him, submitting our lives to him. And so first this morning, I want us to see that David invites us to contemplate God's revelation through creation. God's revelation through creation. So God speaks through nature, through divine revelation. In verses 1 through 6, our attention is captured through the prism of creation, inviting us to see the glory of God. He invites us to awestruck wonder. For God has created the cosmos to reflect his glory and to reflect his splendor so that we might see him in the cosmos. The chief goal of the heavens is to point us to see the glory of God. And so I want us to see how in verses one through four, nature unceasingly proclaims God's glory. First, we see through praise in verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. This is creation, the cosmos, the sky, both day and night, declaring and praising God's glory. The glory of God, though, isn't just beauty and unapproachable light. Though that's certainly part of God's glory, God's glory is also the weightiness and the necessity of his presence in creation. He's the most important person in all of creation. For it's through God and by God that all things are held together. As the sun is the center of the universe and all the planets in our solar system rotate or orbit around the sun, so is God, the central actor and creator upon which all of life, all of creation depends. That's what David is exclaiming here in verses 1 through 6. Secondly, we see that nature unceasingly proclaims God's glory, not just through praise, but also through revelation. Verse 2 says, day to day, 
pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. That is both day and night give continuous testimony of God and to God. The discourse is audible. It's a universal language that all peoples of the earth understand is what David's saying. The heavens and the expanse preach to all the earth. Verse 4 says, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. There's no place which the proclamation of nature hasn't been heard. Day after day, night after night. Creation takes up this anthem of praise, giving untiring testimony of the majesty and the power and the awesomeness of God. For he's created the universe. He's created our lives. Paul speaks to this in Romans 1, 19 and 20, when he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. In other words, those who reject God are without excuse because God has made himself known clearly through his creation that he certainly exists. Verse 3 says, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. This is the paradox of this universal language that's understood by all. This universal language, it's a silent language that's expressed without human words. But yet he's saying the continuous proclamation of day and night presses us to recognize and acknowledge that God is the creator. And so nature unceasingly proclaims God's glory. But I want us also to see that nature's proclamation is illumined by the course of the sun. He says that at the last part of verse four into verse five and six in them, in the heavens, that is, he has placed a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. See, the sun both illustrates and illuminates creation's proclamation. Each morning, the sun comes out of its tent in the heavens as a bridegroom and faces a new and glorious day. What a great illustration to invoke our minds to understand and and to praise the revelation of who God is. It says, like a strong man setting out to run his course, so the sun comes out bold and joyous to embrace its role in the order of creation. And here's what happens. As we look upon the sky by day, illuminated by the sun, our eyes are filled with color and beauty and wonder. All of creation proclaims the handiwork of God. One writer said there isn't one blade of grass and there's no color in this world that's not intended to make us rejoice. You see, from the birds soaring high above through the air to the swarming of fish in the depths of the sea, all of it points us to the grandeur of a sovereign cosmic creator who's above all. For God's not like the mountains in their stately majesty as they protrude out of the flat plains and and reach up into the heavens. 
They're majestic in their appearance. They're robed in glory. But here's the thing. The mountains are a little bit like God, majestic in appearance and robed in glory. They're high and exalted, more massive than we can take in at one time. And yet God created them. God is above all. As we look into the sky by day, we dare not stare upon the radiance of the sun. Right. It reminds us of the unapproachable, glorious and radiant yet blinding light of God's presence. He is an all consuming fire. He's holy and he's wrathful. Yet at the same time, he's wonderfully merciful and provisionary. As we're warmed by the sun's heat and we see by its light, it sustains life as plants grow and produce food. All things of creation are seen through the light of the sun, and nothing is hidden from its heat. He says there in verse 6, its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. You see, it's through the light of the sun that we are able to see all things of God's creation. Similarly, all things come into view in the light of God's presence, and nothing, nothing is hidden from his view. Hear that, believer. Nothing in your life is hidden from God's view. He is all-seeing. As the sun is all-encompassing, God is all-seeing. And get this. Night by night, as the sun enters the heavenly tent, the expanse of the universe comes alive and lights fill the sky. For God who's created the sun also created the stars and the moon. The expanse of the universe is held together by His glorious presence the starry night reminds us that christ is the light that pierces even the darkest night god's not some far removed deity that that winds up creation's clock and sets it on a mantle and watches and waits as it unwinds no he is intimately and intricately involved in each of our lives as we are his created people he created and sustains the very universe and Paul speaking of the preeminence of Christ in the New Testament says in Colossians 1 15 through 17 get this he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if the sun is the most glorious gift of the creator for physical life, Christ is the most glorious gift of our creator for spiritual and eternal life. For he has been given to us as one who has atoned for our sin, making us to be in right relationship with God. And as the sun dominates the expanse of the heavens, declaring the splendor of God's handiwork, so the law of the Lord, his word, dominates all of life by clearly revealing who he is and his design for each of our lives. If creation speaks in silence of God's glory, his word speaks verbally. Revealing God's character and expressing his will for each of our lives. 
And so secondly, David invites us to delight in God's revelation through Scripture. We see this in verses 7 through 11. There's an abrupt change in the language beginning in verse 7. There's also a change in the content beginning in verse 7. Verses 1 through 6 have focused on general revelation. And in doing so, they've used a general name. David used a general name to speak of God. The word or the name that's used in the Hebrew is the word El. And it speaks of deity, God. He, in general, God is the one who is created. But notice what happens in verse 7. The word changes from verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, to verse 7, the law of the what? The Lord, right? This is the covenant name for God. God is personal. He desires relationship with his people. And so David uses this covenant name for God to move from the general revelation that we see in the world to specific revelation that we see in God, that in his word, that he's relational and he cares for us. Again, that he's not an impersonal deity, but, but God is the one who is involved in our lives and desires a relationship with his people. So I want us to see quickly three characteristics about God's word, the word of the Lord in our lives. First, that the word of the Lord works powerfully in our lives. You see this in verses 7 through 9. A.W. Tozer said this, An honest man with an open Bible and a pad and a pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. You know, when we come to Scripture, God's word exposes something in our lives, doesn't it? It's living. It's that double-edged sword. It cuts away the sin in life. It reveals to us the areas in our life that, that we are holding on to, maybe that we're exercising our own dominion and control over and not submitting to God in those things. This is how God's word works. It pierces to the deepest point, to the darkest recesses. And as there is nothing hidden from the heat of the sun, there is nothing in our lives hidden from the view of God. And so this is how the word of God works in our lives powerfully. Hear what David's saying. Look, look at the way he describes the word. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul or it, it restores life. God's word is without error. Speaks probably here the law of the Lord. It, it speaks about the Ten Commandments, but, but it can be it can be um, applied widely, more broadly to cover all of Scripture, to encompass all of Scripture in, in our lives. It, it restores life. You know what God's Word does? It, it brings us back to Him. The testimony of the Lord is sure. This is testimony. This is God's covenant with His people. It's, it's reliable. It's trustworthy. And here's what it does. It makes us wise unto salvation. Hear what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy three fourteen. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is what God's word does. It makes us wise unto salvation, instructs us in right living. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is enlightening. It's pure. It's enlightening to the eyes. That is, God's word speaks powerfully and with authority in our lives, causing our hearts to rejoice, opening our eyes to see the truth of his word as we live out his will. 
And here's what happens, believer. As we live faithfully under God's word, living it out, their joy, it, it brings joy into our lives. But, you know, for the believer who's not walking according to God and, and, and who's living in rebellion against God, there really is a sense of sadness and insecurity about their lives. And that's not God's design or his desire for us. You see, his word gives us spiritual understanding for for navigating the corrupt and sinful world in which we live. He goes on in verse nine, the fear of the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. They are they're righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord grounds the believer in in life and in and in reverential awe as we approach God's word and as we respond to God's word. We are to be fearful of God's holiness. We are to revere him. And as we submit and surrender ourselves growing in godliness, the, it's Christ who ultimately makes us acceptable in, God, in his presence. But it's his word that shapes and forms our life, teaching us how to live in him. The word of the Lord powerfully works in our lives and reveals God's will for our lives so that we reflect his character and so that we might enjoy his presence. Not only has creation revealed the glory of God, but his word has also revealed his glory. The Gospel of John, John says of Christ, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18, that he himself has even, Jesus has revealed the Father to us so that we might know who God is and his ways. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me ask you, believer, is the word at work powerfully in your life? Are you hearing God through reading and meditating and praying on his word? So the word of the Lord not only works powerfully in our lives, the word of the Lord teaches us to delight in God. Verse 10 says the law of the Lord. Verse 10, verse 10 reads more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Notice how David describes the law of the Lord. It's not to be burdensome or weighty. Living in this way, according to God's word and his law, is to be desirable. In fact, more desirable than fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the dripping of the honeycomb. These are two vivid pictures of the internal seed of our hearts as we delight in God's word. God's word is a wealth of sweetness that brings true joy and satisfaction into our lives. In the 12th century, a Jewish custom began where a child was brought on his first day of school around age five to go and sit on a rabbi's lap. And the rabbi would read to him from the Torah, selections from the Torah, and the child would repeat those sections that the rabbi read to him. And after he had finished... The rabbi would put honey on a slate 
and have the child taste the slate. And in doing so, he would see he would say to the young child, taste and see that the Lord is good. Church, that's something that we, I think, need to recover today. The more we taste and see God's goodness, what David is saying and what we need to hear is the greater our desire increases day by day. As we witness the cosmic praise in the heavens, in the expanse, declaring God's glory, we come to God's word and we're understanding specifically who he has revealed himself to be. Are you tasting the sweetness of God's word? Are you growing in the wealth and wisdom that comes from desiring God's word? The third characteristic I wanted to mention this morning was the word of the Lord cautions us to obey God. Look at verse 11. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. Right. In keeping them, there's great reward. Verse 11 says that God's word warns us from ruining our lives. In fact, we're promised a great eternal outcome when we abide in his word. You see, our lives are transformed as we submit to the right, truthful and trustworthy word of God because it works powerfully in our lives. And thirdly, this morning, I think the psalmist, I think David is inviting us to respond to God's revelation through confession. Verses 12 through 14, we see first that he confesses his sins of ignorance and presumption. You know, we must realize that we're sinful to the core. We sin in our ignorance. It's it's our it's in our corrupted, sinful nature. We don't even realize the way that we sin. Oftentimes, verse 12, who can discern his errors? This leads David to to proclaim who can discern his errors who declare me innocent from hidden faults. I remember one time I was in New Orleans eating at a restaurant. It was in the St. Charles Carrollton area uh, back in back in that area, the Garden District. And uh, I was looking for a parking spot, as you always have trouble finding them. And so I went on one of the back streets, side streets, and I parked the car there. I didn't see any signs that said no parking. Curb wasn't painted yellow or anything like that. I went and eat. I went to eat. And then when I came back to get in my vehicle, I had a parking ticket stuck underneath my uh, windshield wiper. And so I was frustrated. I got it out. I looked at it. It said 15 feet uh, parked within 15 feet of the curb. And so I thought, there's no sign telling me this. And I was frustrated. I get home. I I begin composing, uh, composing my letter to the city court to I'm going to fight this and battle this. I'm going to get off. This is not right. Uh, I'm going to get off this charge. They're going to drop this ticket, so on and so forth. Well, about two-thirds of the way through composing um, my argument, I realized that my argument didn't hold any water because I was really arguing, and this, liter- this is honestly, this is what came to mind. I was arguing that I was in- innocent because I was ignorant of the law. And I thought, <laughs> There's no way that this will stand up. And I, part of me just thought to send it to see if uh, if they would just let me off because I, I made the argument. You know, the point is. Ignorance of the law. Is not a defensible excuse before the God of heaven. And we sin against God 
and sinning against God is grievous. It is an affront before God. We have sinned against the God of heaven. Not only have we sinned in ignorance, but we have sinned presumptuously. Look at what he says in verse 13. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. His prayer is keep me from arrogance and acting presumptuously in my walk with you. The word presumptuous literally means to boil over. And it speaks of those sins which are which are premeditated. The presumptuous sinner is the willful sinner, one who knowingly enters into sin against God. There are no sins which are more powerful, no temptations which are more powerful that that we encounter than the presumptuous sin. And notice this prayer, don't let them have dominion over me. You see, he knows that God judges sin and he knows the power David knows the power that sin can have in his life to grip him and to pull him down. And believer, let me encourage you this morning to make this your prayer. Lord, do not let presumptuous sin have dominion over my life. Do not let it reign. Confess it before God. Pray for strength from God to live in such a way that you... That you submit yourself to his word and experience the joy and the delight that comes from knowing him and tasting the sweetness of his word. And growing in the wisdom, the wealth of wisdom that comes from his word. David confesses what we all must confess, that we too have unwittingly and presumptuously sinned against God. And by nature, here's the thing, we're all sinners. We're all Thieves, we're all murderers, adulterers, liars. We're all those who have committed sin grossly against God. And we need one who's stronger than us. We need one who can take this and strengthen us to live in a way that brings God honor and glory. And so David's prayer is for God to acquit him of hidden secret sin and to guard him against or from arrogant, presumptuous sin. You know, our sin struggle, it's deep. And it's a battle that wages war in our spirit against the flesh. But the truth is that we're powerless in and of ourselves to fight off sin. We can't do it. We need one who's stronger than us. And the good news of the gospel of Christ is that we have one who is our advocate, Jesus, who became sin for us. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or here, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, the person of Christ, who in every way and in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. You see, Christ is the only one who can make us acceptable before God. We need Christ's atonement to bring us into God's presence, to make us righteous so that we can come before God. But here's the thing, church. Don't let that excuse a lifestyle of presumptuous sin. 
against God. That is a cheap view of God's grace in our lives. For us to say, well, I'm saved by Christ, therefore now I can live any way I want, is to misunderstand the gospel completely. For that doesn't come with a transformed heart. And so even though Christ has made us righteous before God, we must join David in seeking to live godly lives, church. This is our witness to the world. So your prayer, believer, needs to be confessing guilt and sins of ignorance and crying out to God to keep us from presumptuous sin so that you might be free from sin and blameless in his presence and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, living out the gospel before the men and women in this world. And of course, this affects every area of our lives, from marriages to our children to the value of life. I mean, all of these are huge issues in our culture today. And the church must not be silent, but stand up and live visibly lives that are transformed. Well, not only do we confess sins of ignorance and presumption, we need to confess our dependence on God. The quest for godliness in life is fought in the heart and the mind so often. And here's the thing, church, we are better equipped in this battle when we gather together as the body of Christ and men are holding men accountable and women are holding women accountable as we walk by faith in Christ. Our cry of dependence needs to be what David says here in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can we say this is our prayer? That we are so dependent upon God that we're crying out to him that even our minds are saturated in him. Let me exhort us this morning, church, slow down in your daily routine long enough to contemplate the revelation of God's glory through his creation day to day pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge, and this silent universal language points us in our lives to give praise to God in the midst of his creation. And secondly, let me exhort us to submit ourselves to Scripture, to hear God speak to you through his word. His word is powerful to work in your life. It teaches us to delight in God and it leads us in paths of obedience and security in life. We want to know God's will. We turn to God's word for he's revealed himself specifically through his word. And finally, believer, let me ask you this morning, would you cry out to God this morning, renewing your commitment to him? Seek his forgiveness in both the hidden secret sin that even you're unaware of in your own life and those presumptuous sins that you have willfully, willfully committed against him. This morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and this is all new to you, I, I want you to hear these words that Christ is the one who has made possible the way for us to even come into God's presence. And it's only by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ first, preeminently, that we can come into a relationship, a covenant relationship with God. 
in a moment we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and that is the highlight of this covenant relationship with God for the believer, that he has given us this ordinance to partake of bread and juice. The body and the blood of Christ is what it represents so that we might uh, that we might enjoy this fellowship and this communion among the saints and in his presence. So let me pray for us this morning and you respond as the Lord leads. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come before you. Lord, we ask that you would even give us a fresh vision of seeing your glory in the midst of creation. From the beauty of the trees to the beauty of the sky to the power of the storm, let it all point us, God, to see your powerful hand and your sovereign hand at work. And Lord, I pray that you would even teach us in our own hearts and minds to delight in you, to delight in your word. Oh, God, let let your word be sweet to the taste as we come to you, as we read it, as we listen and hear you speak to us. And oh, God, oh, God, let our response be that we confess our sin before you. That we place faith in your son, Christ. And that we delight to walk in you, casting all of our dependence and care upon you. So that we're not walking in our own strength, but we're walking in the strength that you provide by your Holy Spirit's presence. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?